incredible group of co-hosts that I am blessed to be accompanied by the co-creator, executive producer, co-conspirator, technical. He's got every, he's got basically got all the damn titles. Money Nathan, what's up, brother? Man, happy Wednesday, right? It is uh, like the coldest May Wednesday of my life out there. I don't know what's going on where you are, but here it's uh, crazy windy and cold and I don't like it, but I like being here where it's warm. By the fire. Looking forward to the fireside chat tonight. <laughs> Nathan's going to light the fire here in a little bit. Our guest is going to see that. But before we do that, let's say hello to the lovely, the centering cam of this podcast. She is a professional in mental health. She is the host of Deb's Day in a Dojo. She is an OG of cab. Put your hands together for Deb's, a study of UAPs. What's up, homegirl? Hi, yeah. I'm just happy to be with such positive people here today. Yay. Can I get an amen? You know what, man? Amen. Whenever we get together, it only happens once a week, once every 10 days, and it's a beautiful thing. But now, mm -hmm. Nathan. Yes, sir. You know, we love to go outside the bubble. We're doing like uh, Logan's Run. You know, they're in that bubble, and then mm. all of a sudden, he, he, is, he, is, he and that, that young lady, Jessica, they escape to the outside. You know what I mm -hmm. saw? What, what the world looked like. That's what we're reaching outside the UFO bubble tonight. Love that. All right. Our guest, <laughs> our guest is the host of a totally dope podcast because she's a totally dope person. And once I heard that podcast, I just wanted to have this individual on. Her, her podcast is called Meredith For Real. So wipe the Cheeto dust off your fingers. Get that orange off there and put those hands together for the part-time model. The full-time curiositor, Miss Meredith Hackworth Edwards. <laughs> Thank you. Can Thank I you. get an amen? Amen. Somebody. Wow. Amen. Man for Meredith. I'm gonna make all of that my alarm in the morning. It'll get you up. <laughs> I've been doing it for two years. It's amazing. Excellent. There is yeah. no copyright on that. Uh, <laughs> Meredith. Man, before we even say anything, it's an honor to, to, to have you on. You have like a pretty big deal podcast. I heard you talk UFOs. I don't even know whose show it was on. I don't know if it was on your show. And I was like, man, why don't we bring someone out from outside this crazy community, this UFO community, this bubble, and, and bring them on and see what they think. And since you're curious, man, this was a perfect fit. So thank you so much. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm outside the community, but I'm like on the fence kind of looking over. I've been interested. Yeah. That's the fence right there with your hands. It's like puppy paws, but different. Um, yeah. So it's an honor. I've been interested in uh, UFOs since I was little. It was like Betty and Barney Hill for some reason, which is really mm -hmm. odd because I was like seven in a town in an all white town of 4,000 people. And yet somehow with no internet, like 1980 something, I'm interested in 
a biracial couple who was abducted by aliens. And yeah, I think I even like wrote a report on it later in life, but that's how it started. So I'm not not interested. So but I'm just not. There's so many such a wide cast of characters in ufology that I do find it hard to keep up. So I would consider myself for that reason an outsider. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot to juggle. And, uh, you know, they're making a documentary out of that entire uh, Betty and Barney Hill uh, story. In fact, the Obamas are behind the production effort of that. Really? Ooh, yeah. I, I didn't know that. That That's is all juicy. kinds of awesome. Yeah, right. And before I even get into my ridiculous, let me turn you over to the capable hands of my co-conspirator in welcoming, fun, entertaining, and interesting talk about the phenomenon money, Nathan. Thanks, DJ. So Meredith, yeah, great to have you with us. Uh, I've been able to kind of watch some of your shows and really enjoyed your content. I mean, you, your your range is incredible. So I don't know how you do it, but it's really impressive. All the different topics that you cover and you 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 put your guests at ease, your, your conversational style, your question style is really incredible. And I wanted to ask you, you know, as someone who doesn't seem to be afraid to have kind of weird conversations with, with people, uh, strange talking about strange things or things that make people uncomfortable, what what has that taught you about the human condition when you when you can get into that stuff with, with somebody? Yeah, it, it's really taught me that if you have the right questions, you can unlock a lot of interesting stuff. I call it the treasure of humanity. It's really in the nuance because what we see, what's obvious and what I call the algorithm, which is just, we know what the internet algorithm is, of course, but I think in our human nature, we have our own, you know, self-imposed algorithm of habits that we do, rituals, and just being attracted to the people who are similar to us, whether that's in belief or their, you know, physical characteristics are similar, similar, um, finding the nuance in between all of that obvious stuff is like really what makes humanity interesting. And um, I, I've noticed over the years that people just seem to be losing their ability to engage with curiosity or to lead with curiosity. Instead, they tend to lead with canceling. And so the purpose of my show is to just show the reward that's waiting for you when you decide to leave with curiosity instead. And sometimes it leads you to weird places, but it's never boring. <laughs> no, I love that. And what's it like for you, like at family Thanksgiving? Cause we've all got that family member that you don't really want to have a conversation with, but yeah. you get into it with them and you just kind of go through the motions. But I feel like you go beyond that. You probably get into it with them at a, a deeper level or I imagine some magic happens there. What, what's, what's that like for you? <laughs> Oh, my dad, he likes to like mention people and he's like, have you interviewed them? You've interviewed them, haven't you? Which is so sweet. I'm like, no, dad, not yet. He's like, okay, like we'll be watching something um, like, uh, you know, that haunted Saginaw series. And mm, he's like, mm-hmm. did you, you interview that guy? No, dad, not, not yet. Thank you. Um, Pass the gravy, please. Yeah, right. Pass the gravy. And then um, my <laughs> uncle's wife, uh, my aunt Stacy, she is... Um, She's also an appreciator of meaningful conversation. So at our Thanksgiving gathering this past Thanksgiving, I think in the first two hours we covered um, uh, like what like death. We talked about, you know, death rituals and what we wanted to do when we died. We talked about uh, Roe versus Wade. We like we got in. I made a list. I think I even made a social media post about it because it was like, ah. 
wow. this is what I like, you know? <laughs> so so that, well, let me ask one more question. Then I'll pass it off to Deb. So that energizes you, which is interesting because I, I understand you're an introvert. My wife's an introvert. So in those situations when there's lots of people around and you're having lots of conversation, that can be kind of draining for some people. But it sounds like that's really, you know, obviously, and you're into this uh, subject matter, kind of curious, talking to lots of different people. That seems to give you life. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Introversion is interesting because people always think it's a synonym for being awkward. And um, so when you tell people, oh, I'm an introvert and they go, no, no, don't, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm like, sit down. That's, <laughs> I didn't say that. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I have I'm pity an, on you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I pity the fool. Um, <laughs> no, it's way more about like uh, the quality of interactions mm. and, and usually those one-on-one -on -one conversations, if they're meaningful are really nice. Even if you disagree, if the conversation has that very lovely, like foundation of curiosity and respect, you can have a conversation with anybody. The problem is a lot of people are, do, don't practice that. And so when they do, and we have these really amazing conversations, I just find it super life-giving. Mm. Love that. Yeah. Uh, just oh, with sorry, those, uh, before I give it to Dennis, with those opening remarks, I feel like, uh, would you like to be the host of Cab? <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> you know, what's interesting job. is a lot of um, so my podcast category is social science, right, um, which is kind of like a cousin to uh, society and culture. And when mm -hmm. I look at in the Apple podcast categories for shows in that category, it is like 70% UFO paranormal stuff. Wow. So That's I think huge. I think we're cousins and we just don't know it. So I think a lot of my audience, even though I've only done like eight episodes that might fall into that category out of 185 or whatever, but uh, I think my audience is interested in stuff like this, as am I. Nice. Awesome. We're on the, we're on the, we're on the right track. Um, Deb, uh, go ahead, man. Okay, so first of all, believe it or not, I am also an introvert, <laughs> so I can feel that. Like, I'm also, like, there are too many people. I just need one person in front of me, and I'll yeah. be good. Um, so I was going to say that um, since you are curious, and it seems like you're covering a lot of topics, what do you feel most intrigued by? That's what I would like to know. What, what really is something you just can't get let go of and want to know everything about? Okay, you guys are going to laugh. This is kind of, it's weird, obviously. That's not surprising, I guess. Okay, there is this Other than one, my hairstylist. Mm, we know that's that right. Other than that, there's this one subject and this one guest that I want for this one subject, and I cannot let it go. Normally, I'm like, I'll try like maybe four times. And then if you don't reply to any of my requests, <laughs> like I move on with my life because I don't want stalking, you know, cease and desist <laughs> letters. <sighs> But I want to do an episode about fecal matter transplant, FMT. <laughs> and I want to do <laughs> I want to do it with um, oh with this one doctor in the Northeast because uh, it's like called the Biome Center, I think. And I, mm. the doctor's name is escaping me right now. But I I have like he followed me on it on Twitter. Like he only follows like a few people and he, he followed me back and I'm thinking, Oh sweet. This will be easy. So I sent him a DM, nothing. <laughs> and he is the best presenter of the information. And I love guests who have 
actionable resources for my listeners, right? So I don't necessarily just want a researcher of FMT. I want the CEO of the donation center for FMT. Incredible. I mean, I Talk hope you to get to the it. bottom of it. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> ah! I knew I should have brought up my Farago where I could have that drum thing. Uh, that was awesome. Dr. Duty, if you need help, I, I certainly will, will gang up and say, look, you need an interview with Meredith Edwards. Come on. Don't be that would be incredible. I've heard amazing things about that. Uh, just, uh, entire biome transformations from people who've had that procedure. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, maybe I should get, maybe my hair would grow back. You never I mean, know. Everything. I, I ask people who are in touch with the phenomenon, is there anything, but th- thus far <laughs> I've been striking out. Um, <laughs> Meredith, if you would, since our audience uh, isn't familiar with you, could you talk a little bit about how you've come to this place um, that you're in uh, as, as a uh, interviewer and, and curiositor uh, part-time model, you know, mom, all this kind of stuff. Well, I'm not a mom, except for oh. of plants. Okay. Um, and I do have over a hundred plants. So, wow. wow. Yes. So that's definitely a thing. So I, you know, when I'm not podcasting, I'm definitely buying plants I don't need. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. But, yeah. But I, um, I've had many jobs. I was the kid that was, you know, you asked them, what do you want to be when you grew up? And there was seven answers and I never grew out of that. And that turns out to mean you should be an actor as it were. And so, um, <laughs> cause that's the only other people that I've met that are like still like that. They don't outgrow it, but I was a sign language interpreter and I was an admin assistant and, um, a, uh, an American sales director. And that was the the longest thing I've done. It was about 17 years. And it was through those sales interactions. Like they're not what you think of when you think of sales. Like it's very much um, a high level interpersonal mm-hmm. communication when you're at like a director level. Usually there's some goobers, but like usually <laughs> it's, it's high level. And I found that as I felt that season coming to an end, I started to listen to podcasts and I loved to interview podcasts. And I was like, wait a minute, this is very similar to what I do in my sales position. When I go into a woman's house and talk with her at her kitchen table about her skin and her like eye makeup and stuff. And uh, because really, when you think about it, it's anthropology. And mm. I love anthropology. I love like, oh, wow, I can tell by your kitchen that X, Y, and Z is important to you. Tell me about that. And and uh, it just was so cool to me. It was the most energizing part of really that, that position. And so uh, after I had that thought about a week later, my husband came home and said, hey, uh, you'd be a good podcaster. And I was like, ooh, that's very random and weird. And then about a week after that, um, Pensacola, Florida, where you know, we live, uh, had a free lunch and learn called principles of podcasting. And I was like, all right, I got it. I guess I'm going to that. And so I went, <laughs> I found people who do did tech and I started the show and, um, and then that, you know, turned into this show, which the purpose has always been to inspire curiosity. The subject matter has evolved over time. And currently it's, kind of split into two half of the episodes are with people who are a paradox they shouldn't exist and yet they do like the atheist daughter doctor who studied near-death experiences for 50 years dr bruce grayson um i really highly recommend his book by the way it was amazing and then the other half are questions that people think in private but don't 
ever say out loud. It kind of, that kind of goes along with the introvert thing. So things that are like taboo because of um, like cultural hypnosis or just, you know, because they're taboo. Like, why do we in America practice secular circumcision when the rest of the secular world doesn't? So Mm -hmm. stuff that like nobody really talks about, but we, (laughs) we do. (laughs) Well, um... you boldly go. And I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and then um, that has also turned into me being a podcaster for hire. So that's how I make money podcasting. So uh, larger companies who want to add podcasting to their brand will hire me to produce and sometimes host their show. So I'm the host and producer of Escambia County Public Schools podcast called Voices United in Education. Yeah. So. Amazing. Thanks. Man, I, I do a podcast for my high school back in New York and I don't make a dime, but it is, it is extremely rewarding to bring the stories of my hometown to other, you know, to others in my hometown and just, you know, talk about our, the way we uh, sort of like that area that, that, that we were brought up in. So that, that just kind of like this, it's just so fulfilling to do this, but it is great that uh, people have decided that they want to hire you to, to represent them. That's like totally awesome. Uh, Money Nathan. Yeah. So uh, welcome to a UFO podcast. Uh, I don't know if you, this is the first UFO podcast that you've been on. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so so welcome. Uh, we're honored to have you with us. And uh, of course, we talk about a lot of things here, a lot of strange things. And I'd like to know from someone that uh, is sort of on the outside, like you said, sitting at the fence, looking in, uh, what's an area of the UFO world that you want to know more about or maybe you just don't understand? Uh, that you want to kind of kick kick off for us. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I have to say that your show is really good because I have listened to a lot of UFO shows in researching for the other few up, you know, guests that I've had on my show that are related subject matter wise. And they're all this this is by far the topest, the topest. It's I mean I'm making up a word. <laughs> That's how good it is. The like topest mostest. Yeah. Like curiosity. It's made up. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really, really good. Um Thank I think so yeah. Um I think what I am having a mental conundrum mm-hmm. about right now is the intersection of ufology and religion. Mm. and yeah and here's why and because i'm reading chris bledsoe's book Mm -hmm. um god of god ufo god ufo god ufo god yeah of god um which grammatically i don't understand that but nobody does the book is really good it's very a very good read and it's just insane like his story and like I can track with UFO stuff, but then when he, for example, when he talks about like, and it's an angel, but it's like a UFO and then there's shadow people. And then they're like, I have a hard time tracking with all of that. And I understand that there are people who feel like somehow all of these things are connected. Um, but that is like the area of all of this that I am the most on the outside of love it you're in you're in luck uh because we just so happen to have someone who's really (laughs) um who's done some significantly deep academic dives actually both because deb's a researcher who uh is a counselor nathan uh has done his own research 
and he also has a master's in religion. So take it away, money, Nathan. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. So I went to seminary uh, and and uh, got a seminary degree um, and was a Christian minister for a very brief period of time in my life uh, while I was in seminary. Grew up, but I grew up as a pastor's kid. So I mean, I I was born what? into it. Uh, PK in, in the house. PK in the house. Watch out. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my, my world, um, going up into early adulthood and, uh, the seminary experience for me just totally jaded me to religion. Like just, uh, and it wasn't that I was like, um, I had some peers that went into that experience who were conservative and it was a liberal school and they were completely shattered and came out just, you know, all turned around and whatnot. I, came into it being a liberal Christian and came out of it in a similar position, just not really feeling that it meant anything to me anymore. Um, so I kind of gave all that up for a pretty long time. I'm agnostic atheist for, I don't know, almost two decades. So the UFO topic, interestingly enough, has like re-spiritualized the world for me uh, because there is this aspect to the UFO experience that you can map onto religious experience. Uh, it is, um, you know, it, it, people who have experienced Chris Bledsoe is a great example. You know, this sort of occurs to them out of nowhere. You know, they're not they're not somebody that you would expect an experience to happen to. It's uh, it's indescribable. Uh, the best they can do is sort of try to contextualize it with something that they know. And, and for Chris know. Bledsoe, who's very religious, like the context of what he knows is the Bible and angels and, you know, God and these supernatural powers and all these kinds of things. So, so it makes sense that he would take that context and map it onto his UFO experience, but it goes further than that. Right. So it's not just, okay, well, he's uh, he's, they're not really angels, but he thinks that they're angels. If we then relook at the Bible or look at other religious texts and you read and you kind of read that with fresh eyes. And to be frank with you, like it took me a long time being out of the church to start seeing the church as like an alien place um, and, and think about what is said at church in the same way that someone might think about when they hear people talk about UFOs. Like, I think if you grow up in the South or you grow up in, a, in the religious United States, religious parts of the United States, like Christianity is just a part of our cultural fabric. And so we, we've normalized it in a way that it's uh, it almost we just don't pay attention to it quite as much as we as we might pay attention to. Uh, I don't know, a cult type of belief or something. But when you when you have distance from it, it stands out like a sore thumb. So looking at this old stuff, you know, with, with this fresh perspective, you know, oh, what's happening here in the Bible? What's happening here in the Quran? What's happening here in the Vedic texts? Where we're talking about experiences that are transformative and almost, uh, you know, out of body, etc. Then you realize, well, wait a minute, maybe this phenomena whatever it is, has been a part of the human story from, from day one. And it's influencing us in ways that we are only now kind of starting to grapple with in a, in a serious way. Sorry, long so, answer. No, that's, that's fantastic. I, I'm really interested in, in this stuff because um, it just seems like something that I'd always thought as two separate things. Um, and then now myself not being in the church um but still having a belief in spirit like in uh not just like the great spirit in the sky but like 
humans, we are spirits, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and really like I, I believe in, um, you know, like evil spirit, like don't fuck with spirits. (laughs) And so like to, to read Chris's uh, book and to see his accounts of especially like shadow people to Mm -hmm. me like shadow people okay that's definitely a bad deal you know (laughs) don't don't touch the shadow people but because he has all these really beautiful experiences how like the alien beings cured his Crohn's disease and all of stuff and then he's got really scary things that happen to him too so I'm curious what y'all's take is on the you know that part of it like maybe it's outside or maybe it's adjacent to religion but the part of basically ghosts and spirits hauntings and you know that sort of thing poltergeist and ufo stuff yeah great question we can go a lot of different directions with that i want to make sure deb gets a chance to answer first I, uh, I, I wrote down like 15 things about this <laughs> i know you're oh, confident yay, deb, so go for it okay so the first thing to to be aware of is that you're not the only one who's trying to figure out the intersection. NASA spent like a million dollars getting a whole bunch yes. of religious figures together to talk about this, which is really interesting. There's also supposedly this like like group of people who are very religious and are concerned that demons are involved, supposedly, and like trying to stop the narrative. So that's just like one of the things, like the the mythos of the UAP, right? Um the transformation issue is really big you know that becomes a big part of this but i wanted to kind of jump to the thing you just said and um address that because we've had a lot of researchers who spent a lot of time on this come out saying all of this is connected um and they feel like once you go down the path far enough you start to see some parallels um, the, the like orbs, for instance, that are a common UAP are seen by people who study spirits. There's also, you know, like I watched Fatima the other day, um, one of the more recent movies about Fatima. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that story. It happened in Portugal. Some um, children encountered a lady dressed in white. They had the impression that she was the Virgin Mary. Um, she was giving them messages. And then there was a massive miracle seen by everyone who came to the site. And it was the sun spiraling. And yeah, apparently it's been filmed, but I'm having a hard time tre- tre- like finding the film. There's some pictures available online of the incident, though. Um, so that's very similar to like the UAP phenomenon. There's a lot of parallels. And if you like I said, you go down the rabbit hole long enough, you find out that they're pretty much the same. Um, I would recommend if I think it's um it's is it Trojan Horse Project Trojan Horse. Can you remind me, Nathan? You read this book. Uh yes. Yeah. Uh uh I think it is Project Trojan Horse. Yes. Okay, Project Trojan Horse and also um Diana Pasolka, who really addresses like you know the Vatican and like the fact that the Catholics are probably the most supernatural (laughs) (laughs) group of people, like not only with like having a massive trove of documents about all the supernatural, but just like the exorcisms and so on. Mm -hmm. Operation Trojan Horse, sorry. 
Yes, thank you. I was like, why am I not thinking of it today? Thank you. Um, yes, Operation Trojan Horse. Um, that was one of the researchers that ended up on this path. And a lot of them get there. Valet is another. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Jacques Valet. Mm -hmm. Jacques yes. Valet. Yeah, I read American Cosmic and I nice. interviewed Dr. Pasulka on my show. And that was Dude. kind of my, the first introduction into the intersection. I mean, she not only does the intersection of religion and UFOs, but also of technology. And so, like, I just want to be her best friend. <laughs> she's, she's so she, cool. She is yeah, I was going to say she's coming on June 11th. And I was going to say if you hadn't had her on, because now I'm going to go back and find that episode and listen to it. Yeah, episode uh, we, 148. We, nice. Okay, thank you. Because mm -hmm. let me write that down. Because we will, we we would have helped you to to get her when she comes oh, back June, June 11th. But um, she's very sure that this is affirmational to people of religion, and that's what's interesting. Well, yeah. Whereas it's made other people maybe diverge, or uh, but she believes no, this will strengthen people's faith uh, uh, because. You know, a, a lot of people believe that they're, that they're all connected. And actually, you were you were about to make a point, so I don't want to cut you off because I I can come back in. Did you have something, Meredith? No. Um, I think I was just excited about Doctor Pasulka. Like, <laughs> oh, she's it's natural. She's gangster, I get it. Man. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that. And he she introduced me to Jose Herrera, mm -hmm. who was a um, Marine trained in like psychic abilities viewing and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And because she like one page of her book says my former student Jose was trained in his squadron leadership, blah, 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 for, you know, psychic abilities. I was like, do, 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 dear Diana, I need to meet Jose. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he has a podcast and he is he would probably be a great fit for the show. Um, if you're interested, I'd be happy to make an intro. He I am is like deep dive dude like if i was going to give him a nickname that would be it nice. deep yeah deep <laughs> let me just ask dude. you real quick is he an intel guy by trade is he an intel guy i don't know he because is no longer active duty because if if the squadron wanted him to uh to remote view is which mm -hmm. is what it sounds like you were saying uh, we all s <laughs> we have a Deb. Do you <laughs> we we suspect possibly maybe that um, that Lou and we I don't know. Should I say it? <laughs> he, yeah. he, well, it's he, in a book. It's yeah, in a and book. he and just to clarify too, I think and maybe you're saying this, Meredith, but Jose's squadron was trained in these techniques to kind of trust their inner sight or intuition yeah. so he yeah. he's there's one episode um i saw him speak where he goes through the process and basically he would say they look at a map of, of yes. the territory that where they were going to yeah. go out on patrol or something and then he would say well there's there's somebody over here there's something i'm picking up over here that we have to pay attention to and lo and behold there in fact was something there um and of course out in combat they're trained to lean into that skill as well mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we talked on the show, he talked about how he believes everyone ha can really harness this ability and that some of it is, I always mess up this word, cyclical, but that sounds like cycle. It's like psychic. Mm -hmm. What's the word yeah. that I'm looking no, for? Cyclical operates in cycles. Cyclical. Yeah. Cyclical. Psychic. Woo woo. You know what I'm oh. saying? Psychical. Yeah, cyclical. That he says some of it is cyclical, but a lot of it is um, 
like uh, just tapping into the part of us that's sleepy because our noses are in our phones. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. But um, people suspect this. This has never been officially said that I know. Deb said it might have been a book, but that people believe that Lou Elizondo might have been a remote viewer when he was sitting like J2. Oh, because he was in the ghost. It oh. was in a book. Skinwalker it was in a book. I think is where it. Yes. Okay. Oh, Skinwalker. Okay. I don't know that it's true. I mean, we know Lou, but we've never. I, he's not wanted to speak about that. Oh. So we wouldn't. You know, we kind of make it a point if somebody's like doesn't want to talk about it, or they've been asked it and they're not open to discussing it. Then we of don't course. ask him here. Yeah. Um, but that's why I asked if he was intel, and and you, yes, I mean clearly he's giving them intelligence about. Uh, there's an IED here, or there may be a uh, some sort of an Al Qaeda encampment right there. You wouldn't want to go that direction. You'd want to go go out to the, the to the east and then north. You know that kind of stuff. So that is really interesting. We would love to talk to that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh. But you know, the community seems to be having a lot of difficulty in marrying things together so now we're part of the bigfoot community which heretofore we were not uh as of you know six months ago we just kind of got into this and fortunately we met matt and we added him to our cast but he has his own show bigfoot crrossroads oh Uh, i think i've listened to that show he's great man yeah yeah because and you know here in the american south we have interesting things around bigfoot and um yeah, and I find cryptids just, you know, as we said before we started recording, I find it very interesting. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And so because that we, we know a lot of people that have had a flesh and blood encounter, I saw it cross the road. I saw it on night vision. I saw its eyes. It, uh, it came around my campsite. You know, you've heard it all by now. I can tell that you've, you, you, you know what some of these encounters have been. And some of them are not open that there may be a paranormal aspect to the creature that is heretofore unproven, but may still be a thing. So I, I try to just keep my aperture open. You know, I didn't think, you know, when, when we first started the show, I didn't think ghosts had anything to do with the phenomenon, the UFOs. But you hang around Nathan and Deb and <laughs> a lot of our other friends long enough, and it opens yeah. your mind that, wait a minute, you know, maybe... Maybe I, you know, I just wasn't open to this. And there may yeah. be a portal aspect that, yeah. that uh, Bigfoots have come in. And uh, maybe people say, no, it's impossible. Uh, really? Is it? <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, I, I think I love um, I love digging into native cultures and their take on this stuff, because I feel like there's some real wisdom there that gets lost because in our, you know, Western tradition, we we don't value um, non-written history. But I talked with, um, his name is Lopaka Kapanui. Uh, he's an actor and he's all these things. He's a storyteller. He's amazing. Um, and he runs um, this Hawaiian <clears throat> tour group in Honolulu. And in the Hawaiian tradition, there's no word for supernatural. It's all natural. And that seems to be making sense when we talk about all these different categories of uh, phenomenon, which, by the way, today's National Paranormal Day. So mm, yeah. happy, happy us, right? 
We planned it like this. Yeah, yeah, it was all part of the plan. Um, and so I, I kind of wonder if this kind of, if you were to take all of that as like one giant ball, it would apply towards like the quantum theories and stuff. Like, um, I like Einstein's theory about energy uh, that just like, you know, other energies, our spirit, when we pass away, it doesn't go away it doesn't like disappear it just transfers form kind of like water vapor and I kind of wonder if you know we're talking about Bigfoot when we're talking about ghosts we're talking about UFOs if it's just simply that these things are supernatural to us and not natural because of our limited perspective on our own universe and our place in the universe and our overly self-important status in the universe Absolutely. Nathan, are we too caught up in the label? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, look, our language defines our possibilities. And uh, one thing I bet Meredith would agree on is that by having conversations that are strange and different and about topics that people don't want to talk about, it expands your way of thinking about not only yourself, but the world. And in the West, we're, we've gotten really good at kind of categorizing things and boxing them and boxing. making them really tiny and hyper-specialized and as if that's a way for us to master nature uh, and we confuse our ability to categorize with, with our ability to understand, right? We, we kind of think that we've just because we've labeled it, we actually understand what's going on just because we have a map of how to get from here to Pensacola or whatever means like you've taken the journey. It's not the same, right? So I think part of the phenomena is, showing us and kind of reminding us that there's more to the lived experience than our ability to try to frame it in a way that, that makes sense to us. There are things outside of our, you know, of our comfort zone, of our knowledge that are going to shake and transform us that remind us reality is bigger, broader, wider, weirder than, than we can comprehend. I actually yeah. have an example for this. And if go ahead, Meredith, I'll, I'll Oh, I just simply agreeing. I love reality is weirder. That, that, I love that. That's so good. I, I was listening to a Bigfoot show. I'm not going to say the name because uh, the, the host is a friend of mine. But um, there's a guy out on a hunting trip out west with his father. And they go to like separate locations. There might have been like, you know, several miles apart. And then they come back and meet up. And the hyper specificity with which he described every movement that he made his weaponry how he planned to employ that weapon how many and when he when he thought that he thought that he was being uh, drawn in by the bigfoot which i think the way it sounded to me was he was actually stalking that sound that he heard and he kept pursuing it and pursuing it and when it finally said okay, I've given up ground and stepped out from behind a tree. Again, when he's talking about every minute detail of his... Ta he's not a military dude, not a law enforcement officer, but he was talking about how he had been to these sort of courses and, and the hyper-specificity that when he saw this and, and, and how he egressed out of the area and why he took each step and how many rounds he thought he could get from this distance before this potential creature rushed him, which obviously it would have done that earlier if that was its intention. 
um, it shocked his world that he was in therapy, that his wife is like, I wish you would have killed it, that he was just, you know, overcome. And he had decided that this had tried to draw him in to do something when quite obviously, if it had wanted to do something to you, it probably would have done that. So I say all this to bolster the, the point that you said is that it seems though people require a framework. It has to, whatever it is that I'm dealing with here, it has to fit in this framework. And if it does, I can deal with it. I can maybe shoot it and kill it if I have to or want to. And if it's outside of this framework and I'm scared to where I'm ready to pee on myself, which many Bigfoot experiencers have, that's problematic. So I think, Nathan, what you're saying is that when we're dealing with whether it be Bigfoot, whether this be a poltergeist, whether this be a craft or beings, um, that we want it to be in a framework. And if it's not, that's an issue for for many of us, not necessarily all of us. Yeah. And if it doesn't fit too, it didn't, that's what leads to what they call ontological shock. So, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, the world as you know, it doesn't exist anymore and, but you're still here. So what is the world going to be in that new place you find yourself? And you're, you're at that point charting into, un, you know, you're moving into uncharted territory. Yeah. I, I wonder, um, since Deb is in mental health, like I was just learning about the, uh, psychologist who used to help people who had, um, abduction experiences and how he passed away and all that kind of thing. And, um, I'm just curious, like Deb, what your, if you've ever treated somebody who has had a paranormal experience, meaning not just UFO or abduction, but you know, something across the board that either brought them comfort or disturbed them that so much that they needed to talk about it. Yeah, actually several. <laughs> and, and I'm not someone who is, um, listed as an experience or supporter either but this happens and it probably happens to lots of other mental health professionals um so it's happened several times and i've also had people um talk to me about what they've seen with the ufo news and talk to me about that and i have to be really neutral um but it is actually one of my interests um to help people with the mental health aspect of all of this it can be really traumatic uap med yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes deb's part of a uap med as well that has professionals of different oh really yeah. yes we just had a panel on mental health this last weekend actually and there That's are people yeah there are people who are following and john max footsteps and the mm -hmm. john mack institute is actually up and running again thanks to some people that nathan knows <laughs> you know and things like yeah. that it's like it's it's a it's amazing that he was able to do that harvard really pushed back on him for doing it um and i think there's i have to say there's a little bit of a bias when it comes to someone who wants to support people with this but, but uh, as opposed to if they were like, say, a, a Christian therapist, you know, like it's kind of just a strange yeah. bias. I'm not sure why that is, but that exists. So are they doing anything at the University of Virginia? Because I find that, man, I want to just interview every 
researcher there. That's where Dr. Bruce Grayson is. That's where Dr. Jim Tucker is trying to get him on a show on the show to talk about past life experiences and children. Um, have you heard anything about this sort of thing being looked at there? I actually hear about a lot of places, um, including Harvard. Um, so there's not a lot of public material, but there's been supernatural interest for years and years and years in all these different universities, um, in, including in Baltimore. <laughs> so you'd be surprised. Like I've heard speakers um, from the University of Baltimore, you know, like they're they're all over the place. I think it's be more. Yeah, yeah, be more, be more, be more. <laughs> so, so, Deb, what's your? Um, do you have um, a feeling, an opinion, an outlook on um, Chris Bledsoe? I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at if I had him on the show, like, what would that look like? Because I'm not a paranormal show, and I do try to present things that have more outward-facing paradoxes. For example. Well, like Dr. Bruce Grayson's a great example. So he studied near-death experiences for 50 years. So he's incredibly academic. He's um, up until like really pretty recently, he was an atheist. And yet he led this, you know, against up upstream journey of uh, studying the subject matter. And so I like that those two things don't go together. Kind of like a bear is interesting. A tricycle is interesting, but a bear on a tricycle is super interesting. Um, so <laughs> is, is Chris Bledsoe a bear on a tricycle or like? Okay, just... believe it or not, the fact that the government was so interested in him and get, got involved in his story might be the tricycle in this scenario. You know, the fact that they not only came to his house, but they displaced his kids in order to camp out at his house. So there's, there's a lot more to his story. I don't know if it um, is touched on in the book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but um, the fact that the government found him really interesting and had experiences of their own when they were there is just another facet to his story that intrigues me. Yeah, and so I, think, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, Diana has not come public with exactly what she experienced there yet. Diana has been there? Yes. And I don't know if, if she will. I don't oh, know what right. the... Uh, I don't know. You know, we'll ask her about it when she comes back. I don't know if she's going to answer it. But uh, I don't know if you saw our Jim Semivan episode. He said, I went to his house and saw a, a white bull manifest in his backyard. Right, yeah. from them, and, and, and the white lady as well that, that, that Chris speaks about. So yeah. what do you say to that when it's a, when it's a retired CIA, CIA operative? Do you go, oh, man, I, you know, I don't believe you, dude. I mean, I mean, these are very I mean, and that's just that's you know, we've just named two people out of many that have been there. And when all those three letter agencies went there is because they found uh, a significant amount of evidence that he could manifest something pretty much on call. And yeah. a lot of people can't do that. I yeah. also wanted to mention to you, um, Deb alluded to and Nathan alluded to Exoacademia, and this guy's name is Darren. He took over, uh, is it the ranking position at the John Mack? He's the communications director for the John Mack Institute. Institute, okay. Mm -hmm. And he's an experiencer. He has also been to Chris Bledsoe's property. He is an experiencer. He is a has uh, a spoken at a couple of events of friends of ours have had. 
And I think he would be a very interesting guest for your show, Meredith. And um, we can wouldn't have a lot of trouble arranging that. So just let us know if you decide you want to have Darren. Because do you know his last name? Can you share it? Yeah, it's King. Darren King. Okay, great. Yeah. I will cyberstalk engaged. <laughs> yeah, and Nathan well, so I'll, is. Like I'm talking his, to him tomorrow, so I'll, I'll mention it to you. Yeah, okay, Nathan so. has coffee with him every week, so this is yeah. you know not going to be a big. Not going to yeah. be like me trying to get Chris Bledsoe on here. And <laughs> I got to meet him you. recently for a one-on-one talk that I thought was going to be 15 minutes. It went over <laughs> an hour, and he like made me really think about some things. And I'm like, damn, I didn't expect that to happen. I was like, not thinking that was going to happen, but it was Dude, good. Wow. He's yeah. coming back on cab, man. He's a monster, yeah. man. He, he is. is. Big he's time. a very interesting guy. And Nathan and he are like brothers. They met on this show, believe <laughs> it or did. not. <laughs> so. yeah, That's did. really cool. Don't yeah. you love that when guests become friends? It's the best. Yeah. Well, we lived in the it same was, town. Yeah. They oh. both live in Asheville. Yeah. And uh, when when I asked Nathan when we started Cab, I said, who's like the first five people you want to have? I can't remember who. I know James Iandoli was one. I know Exo Academian was one. And so I, I messaged him and he says to me, well, what kinds of questions would you ask me? And so Nathan's like, oh, I got this, man. So Nathan, you know, wrote, Nathan knew, you know, what to say. And he fed him. And he's like, yes, I'll, I'll come on. And as soon as they came on air and started talking, I was like, these guys have had a shared experience growing up. Growing up. Both of them grew up in a religious background, studied religion in university. I was like, these guys are brothers, man. It was just like, it took me like five minutes to, to figure that out. Um, so it, it, it's great. And, 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 uh, we've never had Darren on since. So thank God he's coming back so we can. Yeah. It's the right time. Yeah, um, and I, and I think, uh, Meredith to your, another sort of angle on your approach to Chris. Um, so there is definitely the bear on the tricycle with the UFOs <laughs> and the government interest in UFOs, right? Historically, there's been a, we don't study this kind of perspective. Sure. But I think, one thing that Chris has not really been asked a lot about that you might have an opportunity to ask as an outsider is really what you raised earlier. <clears throat> and how does he sort of reconcile or balance the uh, UFO experience with his religious upbringing? How does he contextualize the, those two things? People that follow Chris and <clears throat> you know have studied a lot of his interviews and things like that, I think it's like obvious to us that it that his religious background influences the way he understands it. But very few people seem, I don't know if it's a comfort issue or I'm not sure what it is, but he doesn't get a lot of direct questions about it. So I think that would be interesting to hear him respond on, you know, are you still a believer? What is the nature of your belief now? Uh, you know, in light of your experience, uh, getting him to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's that's a very good insight. Thank you for that. Um, he seems very sincere um, when I've listened to his other interviews. Um, he is completely what I would consider counter sensational. He you know, it's like he's doing this because he feels like there's a message that needs to get out and um, he doesn't want these experiences to be wasted by being secret. And he's like he's lost so much because of this. And it's it's heartbreaking because I, I know how the Pentecostal church is and um, yeah, that's yeah. Married to a preacher's daughter. I mean, I mean, his life too is just an incredible um, just whirlwind of yeah. and roller coaster. And so, yeah, there's, there's so much there that it's almost, do you ever have that? We you have guests where you're, you're like, 
there's so much you could, if you talked about everything, it'd almost be like talking about nothing. And so you have to pick like, which thing would be the most important to my audience, which, which is the thing that would be most, um, satisfying to the guests because you don't want it to be boring for them either and yeah he's just as I as I read his book I'm like oh my gosh this is is so insane so yeah we, we like to say in cab always leave them wanting more <laughs> and we can always have the person back for a second one but yeah you don't want to squeeze that fruit until there's no juice left then the person's exhausted you're exhausted and then there's no reason to have a second episode <laughs> yeah so by the way I want to say hi to Julie our chat moderator who has been uh, battling illness in the hospital. And uh, hi, Jules. One love to you from the cab crew. This is Meredith that's waving to you right there. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, you're going to get to go home soon. You sounded phenomenal last night, so that, no pun intended. So so that was really cool. Um, I was thinking about for you to ask, man, after this, what I want to do after this is I'd like to Everybody to, th- uh, you know, we'll start with like Nathan and throw those topics. You know, we can go down to Meredith and then Deb and then myself. Um, but, you know, is to try to get into the feel of what it's like to manifest the phenomenon into your reality on call with a person there. I'd, I'd like to know the mindset. Uh, I'd like to know what that feels like. And I also wanted to point out one other thing when you talked about how genuine this gentleman is. This is all against the backdrop of the entire town saying that he's a liar, that Chris Jr. and Ryan were liars uh, with them. I don't know if excommunicated <laughs> would be the right word, but uh, scorned and derided, I, I, I guess you could say. Apostates, and depending on what mm-hmm. denomination <laughs> you are. Yeah. Heretics, you know. Yeah. yeah, I think apostates is Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Though. It sounds great, though, man. Doesn't so, it? To, that, to I mean, I love alliteration. We could be like alien apostates. There you go. Hey, that's a new. I just say that. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> to be treated, you know, like that is just absurd. For again, and it's what I've told people about Anjali, you know, and and she's going to be coming up soon with John Ramirez. Love these two intel professionals. She experienced something. If you don't believe her, fine. Don't believe her. Don't believe Chris if, if you're somebody from Fayetteville. But there's no reason to attack this person. Just say, I don't believe you. Have a great day. I'm going to Kroger. It would be Publix. People. It would be Publix. Okay. Yeah, that's right. We're Come in Florida, now. guys. Come on. Come on. I, even Come I know on. that. Come even on. I know that. Jeez. Get out of here. I don't know, you know, know their Publix Kroger. in Fayetteville, Meredith. I really don't. Maybe they do. So anyway, um, all right. So let's go. Uh, are you guys ready to go with our topics du jour? Let's do it. Okay. Nathan, hopefully you have the French onion soup with that baked cheese on top. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Incredible. Um, <laughs> and don't right. forget the potato chip question from Meredith before we go. Oh, don't, that's true. Yeah. It, it will be a cab fail if we forget. We, we have answer. to. We have to. All right. Yeah. So. Uh, so Meredith, you're, I'm sure, hearing this everywhere. We're all hearing this everywhere. AI, it's everywhere, right? Yeah. And the reason I like to bring this up, I brought it up on a couple of episodes already, is because it is a disruptive, it, it's it's disrupting our society. It is, and it will. And I wondered if you've given some thought to how it will dis- disrupt, you know, what we do, you know, content creation. Uh, you know, we had TJ Allard on with us very recently. And he's uh, one of the producers on the show, Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. And he had a, an insight into this that I hadn't even considered that I thought was worth sharing. And that was that 
you know, once AI is kind of implemented in these, you know, YouTube or TikTok spaces that essentially the, your algorithmic uh, inclination will then just like instigate a flurry of content coming back at you that no human being will have created, but you will find compelling and interesting, et cetera. So, and it'll, it'll do it faster than you and I can put together a show like this. Oh, uh, so That's... yeah. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, what, what, what do you think about that? And, and uh, where in all of that kind of transformation is the human experience is the human connection. Are we going to lose that? Mm, that is good. I'm listening to that episode of your show right now. I'm like halfway through it. So I haven't gotten to that point yet. So now I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait to go back. This would be so much fun. I feel like at the end, we'll like hand each other notes of like, okay, you listen to episode yes. this number. I'll listen to episode that number. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Sorry. you know, um, from the production, the production side of me is the first to kick in when we talk about AI, the side that, you know, is like an occasional model, right? Um, and when I mean model, it's not like runway, guys. It's like the boring commercials that they're like, we want a good Midwestern looking woman. That's me. <laughs> um, so I'm from Nebraska originally. So um, the the side that of me that knows about release forms is like, we have to change these yesterday because mm -hmm. when I go on set, I usually sign a release form that gives the, uh, the client permission to alter my appearance in whatever way they seem necessary, which usually just means like, if I had lipstick on my teeth, you would edit it out. But now it has completely different implications. So one way that I feel AI will impact podcaster creation is that our media release forms will need to specify to what degree the creators will be using or not using AI. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. And then as far as like our humanity, will robots take over, you know, all of this sort of thing, I, I, from talking with different people who are way smarter than me, I have learned that there's always pendulum swings in society. So I talked with Nathan, you might appreciate this, Joshua Harris, the nice. author of I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And he right. was a central figure in late 1990s Pentecostal Christian evangelical community. Mm -hmm. He believes, he's since left all that, but he believes that because we've swung to the side of like hookup and apps and all of that, that there will be a pendulum swing back to a very traditional courtship that will again require another pendulum swing back to like free love. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that there will be something similar with AI um, that it will that it will spark what's already happening, which is a non-tech movement. Like there's people who are wearing um, little rings, like little blue or something, rubber rings. Mm -hmm. And that says like, hey, I'm open for you to flirt with me in real life. And they go places in real life and they don't use apps. And there's uh, dumb, dumb phones that you can buy, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that AI will speed this movement along. But I am concerned about how much it will take and that we won't be able to get back. Because, uh, you know, um, 
I, I think it's changing our physiology. I think it's changing the way our brains are wired. It's changing. If you look at young people, all of their, they all have shoulder impingements. They're all like shoulders are ground, <laughs> rounded forward. So it sounds weird, but I do feel like there are some things that it will change that we may not be able to swing back just with a simple, you know, decade or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Deb, what do you think about that? Have you thought about that with your show and our show? Yeah, I think that um, one of the issues will be that the standard of having information is going to be raised because we, we've we already had such access to information. But with AI, like just compiling everything for us, like instantaneously, like if there's a question, people will have access to it. Um, I can't foresee the traditionalist movement lasting because i think that this is actually going to move towards being more integrated with us um in the future which is i know somewhat sinister but i think it's going to happen like take a phone from a teenager good luck you know it's like (laughs) it's a trial um i think that you know that's just going to be part of who we are and i wouldn't be surprised like you know even now technically we're kind of using ai just to do stream yard you know i think um even the visuals that people have are getting more and more advanced and we just keep going in that direction so that's what i think are you referring to neurotech also a little bit yes or but, just... but it won't be Neuralink because they messed up um it's going to be some <laughs> of their competitors which already have yeah. human trials and are better i'm um, sorry musk <laughs> yeah i i think that um I've re- actually, I found my, I saw my paper on this in Grammarly yesterday because I wrote at least a couple of papers in 2020 when I was in college about this, and um, I think it's it's very dangerous because of the fact that the controls, the control measures are not in place prior to, and I think the technology will outpace the adult in the room controls that need to constrain it. Um, you've seen, you've seen, you guys, everybody on this panel here knows what's happened when they've run some tests and what AI unleashed, even in a closed environment, was trying to do. And um, the paper that I read in the, uh, excuse me, that I wrote and the sources I looked at all felt the same way. Um, Elon was one of them. Jan Tallinn from Skype was another one. And there's another gentleman uh, who spoke before Congress. Um, he's a communications guy. He spoke about 5G uh, and, and connected to AI and the speed that, that it could process and, and have knowledge. So um, I think that um, the human inter- interaction is very important, and we have to be very, very careful about thinking that this, this uh, s- uh, society that we have, and when I say that, I mean this world society, not just American society, is, is infinite. That um, that it is. Fra- the, believe me, the Romans didn't think <laughs> that uh, that that the Goths were going to come marching into uh, to Rome either. So, um, although I guess you could argue that Caesar kind of pushed him, Julius pushed him in that direction uh, more so than what the Senate may have wanted. Uh, but anyway, I, I think it could be quite dangerous, uh, and I think there needs. I think that a see. The way I adjudicate this is the same way I think about the phenomenon. It's the same way I think about Bigfoot. These guys have heard me say until they want to just like take two foamies and stick them in the earplugs like they're on the flight line is it's not necessarily this exactly, right? It's not necessarily this or that. It could be this and that. 
So yes. do we need AI? Yes. Medicine is able to go through a, a myriad of, you know, whether there's a conflict in drugs, uh, whether or not, you know, it, if, if we ever are able to uh, solve this cancer crisis, AI may be uh, what's able to find, you know, that certain protein or, or something. So <laughs> I think it can be very valuable in probably thousands of ways, you know, not the least of which is Nathan's artwork, which may be the most important thing that it can do. But, uh, <laughs> but, but also, I think that uh, artificial general intelligence, strong AI, if you want to use th that word, could, can be very, very dangerous if there are not strict measures and controls put on what they allow it to do because now it's cracking every password and it can, it can shut off power. It can do all kinds of things if it were to get there. So, uh, yes, very valuable, very helpful, uh, but could be very dangerous. Same thing. Bigfoot, is it flesh and blood? Yes. Could there be a, par a, uh, a, a supernatural or extra, uh, not even extraterrestrial? Could there be a component of it that we don't understand? Yes. Can UFOs, are they extraterrestrial? Are they all ultra-terrestrial where its origin are, uh, uh, is actually here on Earth and they appear when we want them to? Or extraterrestrial? Maybe both. Who knows? Can we know that? You know, we, there's evidence to suggest both are true. So that's that's my theory about that. And who's next? Miss Meredith Edwards and her topic. <laughs> uh, OK, I'm torn between two. I kind of want to know if you all have had an experience. And OK, Nathan's nodding. <laughs> that's just what we do. We nod on cab. There's a lot of nodding. Deb's okay. nodding. She can't see her. She, he's, he said, I'm an active listener. I love that. And I expect Deb to nod, seeing as she's in the mental health space. Um, okay, that, that I'm going to make that my question. Is uh, Have you had an experience that is outside of the normal stuff? And if you have, what is it? I just want to say, this is a dated question. Jimi Hendrix had it right in the front of his album. Are you experienced? <laughs> you know, we're, we're back to 1968. Go ahead. Uh, I love it. Go, yeah. go ahead, Deb. <clears throat> this is you, buddy. I'm going first? Okay. Yeah, please. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, well, it's really hard to say where to start on that. I've had um, a really intensive dream that is very similar to what people talk about with NDEs. Um, I've had um, paranormal experiences when I was ghost hunting, which I found out I am not brave enough to do. Um, like, cause <laughs> I, I, I have like a sensory reaction, right? I've had some um, dreams that foretold things. Um, for some reason, it was family pregnancies over and over. I was like, like the twins, you know, the gender, all of those things were told to me in dreams. Um, you know, I've had a couple ufo sightings to me that's not a big deal actually and i've had really intensive meditations which has resulted in me kind of exploring the science of um the brain neurology and trying to understand what's going on with that so yeah quite a few actually it's amazing um i love this question because i'm not a traditional experiencer so I, I, we've interviewed a lot of them that have had amazing fantastical sightings and experiences with beings, et cetera, et cetera. But if I'm honest with my own self and looking at the experiences I've had in life that are strange, that aren't as clear cut as those, there are many, right? And I think this is what's 
where the real meat of it all is, quite frankly, is that everybody has experiences uh, that are strange and hard to uh, fit into those categories we talked about earlier, those neat little scientific ways we understand the world. Um, you know, I've had experiences of precognition. You know, I've had experiences of um, insane synchronicity that defies any kind of, you know, logic or, you know, coincidental interaction. Um, and, and, you know, who hasn't, right? If you, if you really get people talking, and, and oftentimes you'll find that these things <clears throat> have dramatically influenced their entire life trajectory, right? So how many people ha can you meet that will say, you know, I, I met my partner in this super strange way and I had this dream about them and, and here yeah. we are. And like, I'm devoted my entire life to this person. Wow. It was on, on a, you're telling me like on a, a thing that you, you ate one night and a dream that you had. And you're now, you know, 50 years later, you've been happily married with you know, kids and grandkids or something, you know, like that, that's, but that happens. It happens all the time. And so I think that if we are honest with ourselves, uh, you know, this, whatever this is, is part and parcel to the human experience. Um, and that to me is, uh, is actually really exciting. Like, cause I think you can learn from those mundane things in just the same way that we can learn from these fantastical experiences. Um, but I have had, you know, a little bit of fantastical experiences too. You know, I've had some altered state experiences that were really wild. Um, is that code for mushrooms? I, I won't say, <laughs> no, I won't say I knew you were going there. Meredith. Uh, <laughs> confirm or deny. Um, <laughs> But I yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, fascinating <laughs> stuff, right? Like uh, yeah. where, um, I mean, I literally had an experience where I, I, I thought something in this, in this moment that when I, that later on that day, like it happened. Mm -hmm. Having a knowing. Yeah. I mean, it, the, yeah. And I hadn't, it was something I would never think about, never occur to me, period. And it, and it happened. So I, you know, that's hard for me to explain um, and, and powerful. But I think what, what's weird, too, is like people will just the last thing I'll say on this is synchronicity. Sometimes people go, I had a synchronicity today. It's about this, uh, you know, book or something. And so I guess now I need to devote my all of my energy to reading this book and, and learning everything about, you know, such and such. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the takeaway of a synchronicity is to just kind of fall down whatever rabbit hole that synchronicity might mean for you it could at some point but but maybe not always i think what it really is though is just telling us it's like it's like it's like we're stuck in a in a box that is dark and synchronicities are beams of light rays of light of sunshine that are kind of finding their way through the cracks of the box and 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 telling us there's another world out there that that we that that is more real than the box that we live in and uh we got to break out from that to experience it the box sounds like code for the, um, what's the word? The dome theory that we live in a dome. <laughs> oh, the dome. Yeah. Heard, Chris, uh, like, Chris like Bledsoe the talk, show or like, uh, yep. Yeah. yeah. Chris Bledsoe talks about it in his book that he uses a word that I can't bring to mind right now, but like, um, what's the thing you put a plant in to keep it humid? Oh, a, a terrarium. A terrarium. Yeah. He calls it like the terrarium theory. Um, and so that's, I thought you were, alluding to that much like your altered state statement that's totally that an altered that. state great yeah. to you thanks meredith yeah great mute great mute <laughs> uh, movie by william hurt but um the you know what's funny is we're back to logan's run again so anybody who hasn't seen it it's late 1979 or 80 
and it stars Dirk ben- Benedict. Uh, if you guys remember him from the A-Team, Dirk Benedict. Um, and I can't remember the female. It was a British actress, but interesting movie about living in a bubble and when they were able to find their way out. It was called Sanctuary. So anyway. Mm. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, let's see. This was Deb's. Tell us about Deb? your experience, No, this is Meredith's question, right? Yeah. Because we went slightly out of order. What was it again? Your, your experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, my experience, uh, I, I did have a sighting as, as a young young person, but it wasn't long enough to really go through that whole series of emotions because it kind of went the other direction. I did have another kid there, um, and that was about it. But in terms of uh, synchronicities, uh, other than the police album, number one and two, like both those – um, I, I have Nathan and I actually have a synchronicity about our friendship, uh, which involves his older brother, Justin. Um, so, um, yeah, I really, it, it, it's funny that, um, the people on this show haven't, I mean, if we think about everybody on the show, uh, we really don't have a lot of experience with the phenomenon, but we're able to have people on and they speak about it and, take that in and it's it's fascinating it's just you know one of the most fun things i could think of spending an evening doing so sorry Agreed. i didn't have a better <laughs> all <No>. right so <laughs> after that uh deb actually is going to go with her topic then i'll go then uh and nathan you already went right yeah i did so yeah yeah go ahead deb Z. okay so today i got in the mail a little et figure it was like the 40th anniversary and I'm, it's now in my collection of things right and it had me thinking about something we don't talk about that often that supposedly the um, intel community influences what we see in our media and i've noticed lately that there's a shift towards more films about AI and us becoming integrated with it, actually, um, which, as DJ pointed out, is sometimes very dark. Um, So it's a different twist than it's separate from us. It's now something we're integrated with. So I guess my question to everyone is, you know, how is media influencing our society? And will basically AI be the next UFO? Will it be the next God? Will it be the next Fatima? Um, so first of all, you know, you know about that story with, uh, Bryce Zabel and, uh, an official from the government coming to visit him about his TV show that they were shooting. What this, this show, if you hadn't heard of this Meredith, this show wasn't even out yet. Um, they were just shooting it and, and editing. And he came and said, yeah, you know, you've got some of this stuff, right? Some of it you don't, but some of it you got really right. And he came and wrote some things out on a napkin about UFOs and the and uh, and and blew this guy away and then literally disappeared. It was at a party. <laughs> so I, I don't I think that there are certain government officials who have went and, and visited uh, with producers of movies. A lot of people say that Spielberg uh, had interactions. I think Deb and Nathan could probably name one or two others that have had interactions with uh, government officials. I don't think that they have a direct uh, institutional effect and uh, on on Hollywood. I think that there may be people who have tried to press certain buttons at certain times for certain reasons, which we could not be aware of because we would have to know what was on their plate and what their what their uh, uh, their mission was to to know why they would approach 
a Hollywood official, a Hollywood uh, uh, producer of some sort, and and influence them um, to project a certain narrative that they thought would be helpful to whatever outcome they wanted to see. Uh, regarding AI, a, and, and I think the rest of what you were asking was uh, how AI might affect uh, enter the entertainment industry uh, and what we see on TV. Was that it, Deb? Yeah, like that seems to be sort of being put like in the center of a lot of movies now. Is that affecting um, our society? You know, I had a, a guy that uh, I teach yoga at a gym, and we just got a new Marine Corps, a guy who got out of the Marine Corps, and he's working at the gym on the, d the desk. And he talked to me that one of his friends was able to do a semester's worth of work using chat GPT to write papers. And, uh, I mean, I can't say that I can independently verify that this is true, but that is scary if if something like that did happen uh, and they were, you were able, like in my school, to go through all the different modules and have ChatGPT uh, chat do all your chats that you needed to do and then all your outlines and, and your papers, that's pretty scary. But in terms of uh, entertainment, um, I, I think that there is, there is potential to feed people more of what they want. And sometimes what people want, if you watch cable news, is not necessarily what is good for them. They want a reinforcement of what they already believe. And sometimes uh, you'll listen to somebody like, um, um, I can't remember his name now, uh, John, somebody, he's a, a great historian that I, that I listen to his pod, but he talks about these better angels. And sometimes what we want um, is not necessarily our better angels. People sometimes like to eat red meat so to speak, and I don't, I, I don't mean that literally, I mean it figuratively. So um, I, I'm not sure that AI would necessarily be good in, in, that, uh, in that way either. I think what's beautiful about humanity, what makes us unique, is art. We've talked about that on this show. What Meredith is doing is art. Uh, when uh, you're doing photographs, that's art. Nathan is doing art. Musicians is art is art stage performers is art storytellers is art all of these things are what the phenomenon can't do so why would you want to seed that over to something that only sees life through zeros and ones and can only mimic can only mimic what a human does they can look like like we've talked about it you could take you could take an ai robot to you to a u2 concert and you could make it dance around and it you could like you can make its face smile and, and, and can even maybe even move to the music, but you can't make it feel the music. When I went to see U2 in 87 and people cried, you can't make it cry unless it just goes, oh, that person sitting next to me is crying. I'm going to start to energize the tear ducts. <laughs> so, so, so AI would be the worst thing, actually, probably, because humanity is, is I, I don't, know if it's necessarily exceptional and unique only that we know just because we don't know there may be another race of people out there that also have art and music and 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 have uh what what meredith alluded to at the beginning which is the spirit that uh we believe that when when meredith's body is no longer here that her spirit will continue 
you know, and her, her, her life force, her energy, and will maybe go to another, another body, right? So anyway, that's, that's, that's my opinion. I'm sorry I can't give you a really smiley, cabby kind of a take on it, but that's my take. Money. Engaged machine smile. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nathan, uh, when you do these jokes, your pastor is showing. Just so you know, like the dad, dad too, so the dad like jokes, yeah, like that's everywhere. totally youth pastor yeah. material. Yeah. No, it's uh, <laughs> you got me totally yeah. guilty. Um, yeah, okay, so uh, man, where do I want to go with this? So attention is our, our our culture has incentivized attention. Like attention translates into dollars, right? So I think that uh, we in a way have an opportunity with AI to like build into it. This is why it's yeah. so important that we, that we really take some time, be thoughtful with it. Right. Because we have an ability to, to kind of train it, to help us be the best that we want to be not appeal to our let lesser nature. Right. And I think that that's, if we just unleash it on, into the world that we currently have created for ourselves, uh, we're only going to get, more of the same, but to the nth degree of the same. Um, and, you know, we, we, we can structure all of this to where it incentivizes us in, in better ways to do better things for not only for ourselves, but for each other. Um, and our, our, our entertainment, uh, our media, all of these things right now are designed along the lines of things you guys have already touched on. That's, you know, fear motivation, that's, uh, you know, keeping up with somebody else, you know, sort of trying to maintain your social status uh, because that is power in our society, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If we shift that, if we could kind of take the reins here and kind of create a new incentive structure, then we have an opportunity to really make some, I think, fundamental and amazing changes in the world. Uh, but if we don't, if we're not careful, I, I don't see that happening. I just see that we're going to end up in a in a more kind of dystopic version of where we are now, at least in the near term. And, and maybe this is what it's like, quite, quite frankly. I mean, some have said that uh, one of the great filters, if you've heard that concept, the great filter is essentially like an event in a, in a civilization's uh, life cycle that they either get through and get past or they can't get through and get past it and they die. So a great filter moment could be like a nuclear apocalypse, you know, but it, it, similarly, a great filter could be like getting through this AI transition, right? So if we can navigate this and it will be bumpy and challenging and, and there'll be maybe even generations that struggle with how to integrate this powerful tool with who we are. But if we can get out on the other side of that, it has this, you know, immense potential to be you know, to transform everything, everything about who we are and kind of almost basically like give birth to a new species. Uh, you know, if you think about the phenomena, maybe that's where they already are. Maybe they have gone through the same kind of transition, or at least some of them anyway, and have come out on the other end. And the things that they can do in terms of how they interface with us appear to us like magic, but it's really just, you know, kind of the uh, end point of some of their technological advancement. Um, I don't know. I, I don't like the idea that the government is, you know, kind of puppet mastering the, the citizenry. I think that DJ, to your point, they're not like always, they're not in the director's chair, you know, calling the shots. Um, but at the same time, it, it is true that our, our media outlets, you know, they have 
contacts. They have sources, you know, and those sources are in the government. And if the government wants them to talk about a story, they're going to call that media outlet and say, I've got a scoop for you that, you know, your competitor doesn't have. And you can either run with this story and be the first to break it, or I'm going to go call them and they're going to break the story. You know, so it's there is a little bit of that gaming happening there, depending on which administration, you know, wants to talk to which audience and upplay. You know, and it's kind of, if you think about it, it's kind of grotesque, right? I mean, there are just many aspects of our culture that I think are kind of out of whack, out of shape, you know, that we, we, need to, we need to reform. And many of us feel helpless to do so, right? So maybe AI, if we kind of say, hey, help us out, like we, we are basically powerless to do this on our own. We need you who can understand how to manipulate us better than anything else to like kind of steer us in a direction that we that we really want to go, our aspirational goals. That that I, I love it because I've been put in this half <laughs> this glass uh, half empty <laughs> glass and Nathan's half full, uh, and I, I love it. And I, I hope that Na everything you just said is correct. The problem is that it requires a morality that that potentially it is not able to to have sure and or so whose morality right i mean right. if it, i'm programming it you know is it nathan's right. ethics is it dj's ethics you know how well, do we decide these things and i want to say we have to add the other level that there have been people come out from the government saying they were hired to influence the media they were hired to influence scripts there's people who like there's an article about how contact was changed by the government they changed some of the script mm. So are they influencing that story? So, okay, it's Meredith. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Uh, I have two pre-thoughts, and one of them is if we were handing out awards for, like, the best wrap-up question, Deb, like, you would have the award because holy balls, Batman. Um, and then my second thought is, like, never have I ever been a guest on a podcast where I took notes. So I have a full page. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> okay, so to tackle Deb's question, um, I do, I, I disagree with DJ that I do think that the media and government are in bed together. Um, my husband has more graphic ways to describe that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and we know this because, um, it's very obvious when you look at other countries movies and you're like that is obviously propaganda and then you're like oh right we've done the same thing top gun for example totally. right. um i'll also think about who is the enemy in every movie the russians the iranians the afghanis like they other different people groups so that it strengthens military efforts and justifies tax dollars unpopular opinion um, and when we, we do see this in, um, UFO related movies as well. Right. I mean, project blue book, like, and, um, and, you know, to gaslight citizens who had genuine experiences and we're, we're not even, we haven't even gone over that hurdle yet for our U S military members who are, you know, supposedly encouraged to like report these things now they're still trying to navigate through these murky waters of stigma so i totally agree that there is some behind the curtains communication um at its at its lowest 
As far as AI and society and media and the next step of our human evolution, I would love to ask the question, what problem are we solving for? Because when I think about what does it mean to advance as a society, it doesn't mean that a robot drives my freaking car. It means that we solve the problem of our evolutionary mismatch, right? Yeah, let's solve cancer. Let's cure cancer. But why is no one asking what causes cancer, right? Like, yeah, let's let's tackle gun violence in the United States. But why is no one asking why this is so common? And let's look at causality and not just like um, consumer our way into a solution. And I feel like AI is just a real shiny thing. Not just, but I feel like it's more of a shiny thing. And so as Americans, we're, and I don't think it's just an American thing, but that definitely as Americans, we are biased towards shiny things. And so we're like, oh, yes. Well, and and plus we get to be number one as America. We love to be number one, USA, USA. You know, we've been chanting that for so long, we can't hear anything else. And I think that if um, we kind of take a pause and to create some intention around what problem we're solving for, it will lead to some unpopular next steps, um, especially in the areas of technology and um, and like EMFs. And, you know, we have this uh, continual more, 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 more internet, more tech, more screens, more everything. But what if we have like digital free zones? What if there's just green spaces where Wi-Fi doesn't work. There's a reason that camping feels so good, you know, like how do we reconnect as earthlings? It doesn't, do we really have to send a man to space to know that human bodies are, are best oriented on earth because of the, you know, the electrical, whatever, seven something megahertz that the earth gives off. Um, I just think that AI can be a distraction and advancement, air quote, advancement can be a distraction. Like, let's talk about why we get Alzheimer's instead of just trying to literally plug in ourselves to solve it. So that's my take. That's that's a great point. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I just want to echo what you're saying. We can get distracted by the pyrotechnics, a lot of our technology and not solving the root cause of our condition. And um, if I guess I'm, I'm of the opinion, if we can somehow hack our way to getting us to behave better by using the thing that we are already enslaved to, maybe we should try to do that because everything else we've tried isn't working. Now, I love the idea of, you know, kind of imposed digital free zones. I think that's incredible. And that's what we call a forest. Right. But, you know, like a forest <laughs> around but, us. But it- yeah. We have Starlink blasting us with Wi-Fi. This it's, is my point. You can't, right? We yeah. have to. Um, I think some of this technological uh, development is like the 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 digital version of processed foods. It's highly palatable mm-hmm. and completely addictive. And so we have to think about like how our ancient brains, because our brains are still really freaking old, right? And we are biased towards dopamine experiences. And so we that's why we like negative shit is because we're like, yeah, there's a problem. Ugh, I'm going to go solve it. And, that's, you know, no one, it's, it's because in our, you know, our tribal selves, we needed to remember the negative in order to stay alive. But now we're just fighting on Twitter. So, yeah. <laughs> 
No, you're right. I love it's, it. it's an animating factor. Um, yeah. Speaking of processed foods, Nathan, can you take those fish sticks out of the oven, please? I don't yes. Know well, and also, uh, while I'm doing that, we have to ask the question. <laughs> Potato chip question. We better we have get to. it in before okay. I do. Because I have a topic for you I guys. I know you do. I hope it'll be quick. But, but, but yes, uh, so, Meredith, um, first of all, if you have a PhD, you'll be in one side of the study with the PhDs like Dr. Pasolka and... Dr. Jeff Kripal. Oh, we got to get Dr. Masters. We haven't asked him yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and a couple other PhDs we've spoken with, Dr. Gary Nolan. But if you're not a PhD, you'll be with me, Nathan, Debs, and us regular peoples, right? <laughs> um, so in terms of potato chips, do you gear toward a sea salt potato chip, either <laughs> with ridges or without ridges, or are you headed towards a seasoned potato chip of one sort or another, please, ma'am. Mm, wow. Um, I avoid seed oils. <clears throat> so I, it really limits my chip selection. Okay, so can I, it's because mine has <laughs> is fried in avocado oil. Oh, Canyon. okay. It's at Whole oh. Foods. So, um, oh, we don't have that here. Is that a fruit? <laughs> avocado is technically a fruit, right? Is that right? Am I right about that? Well, avocado is a stable fat, so it would be less likely to oxidize. There we go. So, and oxidization equals inflammation. Yeah. Bad so, stuff. yeah. So, bad stuff. But, um, yeah, I like to eat my carbs in the form of chocolate. Mm. So, I would answer this question if I was like on Miss America stage. I would go with a chocolate covered, non seed oil, <laughs> salty ass chip. Nice. Wow. What? <laughs> you have just shipped. That's a whole yeah, new snack sensation. Paradigm. Yeah, just... yeah. like nobody has mentioned a chocolate-covered potato chip. I'm rethinking my entire life after the show. Yeah, um, I'm gonna ontological shock everything. happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and I just want to mention one thing about the topic that we discussed a little earlier because I want to point to Dr. Michael Masters. Um, he is at Morpho Time on twitter meredith and we've had him on he is a blast too he's a hoot and he has the and you guys i, I might need deb and nathan to help me out here uh, but basically that their time traveler that that uh, he believes that there's at least a portion of the phenomenon that are time travelers that they're future us and one of the reasons that they are harvesting uh, biology from us is due to a declining birth rate. And he's t talking about that the U.S., I, the, the birth rate has declined. I can't remember the percentage. Did he say f in the 40, upper 40 percentile? And I actually just did, I had on, for the high school podcast, I had on uh, a couple of the students that are there now. And when they said there's only 500 kids in the school, we thought that it was uh, small when there was 800 when I was there. And now there's 500. So I, I don't know, declining birth rate. So I, I don't know what all that advancement or what the future us that they may have trouble with relations, with procreation, with all these things. I mean, there's at least a theory out there. It, it, it could be nothing more than just a, a hypothesis, but it, it, it is at least explained by the fact that, that a lot of women report that they have taken taken different pe uh, parts of their biology that they think would be necessary to either uh, procreate, which then other people are seeing humanoid types, and then also uh, the possibility of making a hybrid being where it's 
electromechanical, but it has maybe a, a biological brain because they don't have consciousness. So I'm a little worried about uh, worried about that aspect. Can I um, chime in on this? Yes, ma'am. Please, please do. So um, I do speak to people who treat experiencers, quite a lot of them, and apparently this, there's a shift away from that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a new update that I was told from someone who's probably spoken to like thousands of experiencers at this point. Apparently the new issue is just us trying to take care of the planet. So if there was a, a biological imperative, apparently they've got what they need at this point. And, and honestly, if, if they, if they could create biological robots, which is what people think they might be, they probably never really needed it for, for them, for themselves. They probably needed it for something else, but that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. That's a, it's a lot of probably in there. Yeah. We have no idea, but we just know, we know that they, we, we know that people said they've taken it. We don't know why they're taking it. Everything after that, we're just speculating, but it, it, at least it's safe to say there's something in that, that they think we have that they don't have or they wouldn't need to get it from us. That's the that's the the apex of what I can speculate unless somebody has actually you know these people that have interacted with them and asked these questions, you know. So um, here's my question because it actually goes right into this. And and Nathan is going to think that I'm totally stealing the ball here and running down towards his goal. But it's uh, because this is a hypothesis that Nathan had and I've sort of shifted it around because when I thought, what topic am I going to present for you guys? It has to be something that's on my mind. Um, and because of stuff that Deb's hearing from people that, that have uh, downloads, that Nathan's hearing, that other friends of ours as well uh, brought me this question. So the question is, and I'm starting with Nathan, what could, should the evolution process be? the evaluation process, I'm sorry, the evaluation process be for an individual who receives downloads or has communications with the phenomenon and what their potential motives might be. So to, to try to put that in layman's just normal conversation terms, Nathan, um, what process should a person go through when they're being told something to evaluate what the motives are of that intelligence, that NHI that they're communicating with and what the motives might be. Yeah. And this is, <laughs> this is the tough one, right? So, um, I've, I, I've been with people who've had these experiences, who've had these downloads and have been told things that there's a strong, a compulsion, right? That, that whatever they're, they're told is, is happening, is going to happen. There's an imminence to it really. Um, which is often why you see that you know, people like Chris Bledsoe, who, you know, Meredith, as you said earlier, seems like a pretty humble guy who doesn't really want to say things, but he feels like he has to say things. So there's, there's this, I don't know, catalyst in a way that, that occurs when, when they have an experience light like this, but I think the key here is to sit with it, right? So whatever you've downloaded, if you think that's at, that as what have, has happened to you, it's important to, I think, sit with that message and explore the contours of what it is and, and how you understand it. It's, it's in a way like to use something that most people might think about is like a dream interpretation, right? So 
I've had a dream and all these weird things happened. Like, does it mean that, you know, a giraffe is going to show up like with a crossbow in the morning in front of my front lawn? No. Like, what does that mean? You know, you said, yeah, it's a strange thing. I just came up with that. But you get my my idea here. Like there we think of these like dreams in a metaphorical sense. Right. And we, we interpret our dreams through our own experiences and what things like symbol, you know, this for me symbolizes whatever that is. So I, I would encourage people to do the same exercise that if you've had a download where you've received a message, sit with it for a little while and go through it and think about it from not just your initial reaction to it and what you think it means, but how it also might be interpreted from different perspectives. Right. So that that's just the bare minimum. Do that. OK, go through a different analysis, you know, kind of try to look at it from different vantage points. But beyond that, this is what we've talked about forever, DJ. You know, can you trust any of these messages? Right. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know the there's no way to know the answer to that. If if some sort of intelligence is communicating with us in this way that we don't understand and we're not having a kind of a bi-directional communication with them <laughs> and, and we haven't established a relationship really or any kind of trust with that, then can you trust them? I don't know that you, you really can. Other than to say, is what they're saying to you something that you feel like resonates with you in, in the context of your humanity, right? Is it, is it good for you as a person? Is it also good for humanity to understand this, like to, to take this information in and action it in some way? If the message you're getting is, you know, go do something dangerous to yourself and to your fellow person, I don't think that's a message that anyone should li listen to. That would be against our our best interest, right? Uh, those are my initial thoughts. Meredith, my friend. I think the most important thing for a person to do who's received a download is to post it on Reddit immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and That's a great idea, those. actually. We have seen those. You get some positive responses to that. Um, no, actually, I, this is way over my scope of practice. Um, I would say uh, I would if i was on a committee to make recommendations then i would call dr bruce grayson because he literally wrote the policy of how to quantify and qualify near-death experiences it's called the grayson scale it's named after the dude wow and so it's like a peer-reviewed uh process and so I think he could take that formula and the process of making the process and apply it to a person who's had this kind of experience. Love that. I, I love it. That's yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, you're, you're saying that, you know, you don't feel qualified necessarily answer, but to, to kind of get yourself educated on, you know, an NDE and then how could I apply that to this download and then disseminate that information responsibly. And I think that's yeah. one of the things that people in the community take issue with is when they think something's irresponsible about information that's disseminated, but they have to understand that when that person receives that information, it's nearly life-changing for them. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I haven't experienced it, so I can't beef on somebody that has had it and feels like they, they have to get that information out there because it's a service to humanity. Debs. I have so many things on this, too, because there's a psychology side to this, and then there's a historical side to this where people talk about muses, and then there's, you know, what's happening with the experiencers. So this is these are my thoughts. Let me try to collect them all. So the first thing is, 
historically, Einstein and Thomas Edison sort of took advantage of the theta um, level like that we experience in the brain, right? And what they did was they would like almost fall asleep but not fully fall asleep. And then they would get into a creative state. They would solve problems like in this in-between asleep and awake state. So anyone can do this. And it's the same state you reach with meditation and so forth where we are solving problems. So um, the thing that I noticed when I was doing research on this is that people in DMT states also go through something like this but it's very clear that it's an introspective thing they're working out their own issues right so when i'm hearing like what we should do to evaluate someone coming forward with their experiences the first thing i'm going to think is well this is coming from you so whether or not it's a message from elsewhere it's always going to be through the lens of your own interpretation if that makes mm. sense it's and whether or not it's a it's something to be trusted or not the issue is are you understanding that correctly are you understanding that experience correctly are you um contaminating it a little with your own stuff also you know all of those are factors so you know it's sort of like they say don't shoot the messenger right but sometimes the messenger is the problem <laughs> you know <laughs> i i i have to say like with all the encounters that we had um, with UAPs, I wonder sometimes if they've been trying to send us a message with just their movements or something, and we're just missing it. And like, they might be like, yes. why can't they see us? Like, everyone's like, oh, they're hiding. But what if they're like right in front of us going, why can't you see us? Hmm. <laughs> like, Elizondo we're trying says to say that. He says right. that maybe them just the way they're maneuvering in the sky when people see them could be communication. We just don't know what it means. Right. If you remember in Close Encounters, communication happened with music and it happened with the lights. Like everyone thinks, you know, the download is the communication, but I'm I'm really questioning that, you know, I'm really thinking that's going to be filtered through our own interpretation. And that's a problem. Yeah, it, it it's it's very complex uh, and there needs to be a lot of sort of self uh, analysis of you know any biases that you might hold and then like what what Meredith said maybe you you take in some academic work of somebody who maybe has you know has a peer-reviewed entire paper journal book you know or something on this uh, and then before you spread that out because you know what you want to be true but that may not be you know the message so I'll tell you what, man, it's been a while since we've done an, an hour and what is this an hour and 45 minutes, but damn, it was worth it. So Miss uh, Meredith Edwards, could you please tell everybody about all of your cool stuff that you're doing that we could dope up on? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. This has been fun. I, I was looking forward to this and it did not disappoint. So thank you. Um, yeah, the best place to find me. I'm most active on Instagram, Meredith for Real. And my podcast is called Meredith for Real, The Curious Introvert. And um, there are plenty of, um, well, not plenty, there's about eight <laughs> uh, episodes in there that would definitely be of interest to your audience. Um, Tim McMillan, the co-founder of The Debrief, is episode 95. Diana Walsh-Basulka, number 148. Um, Leon Baker was a Mexico-Texas Border Patrol agent who had lots of paranormal experiences. That's episode 155. There's really no specific order to listen to episodes, so you can 
explore and, and, you know, put, bring your ADD and have a good time. Uh, Coming up, we've got lots of episodes that are around crazy stories that have happened to people, a woman who survived a serial killer attack, um, uh, and then we talk about creating your own closure when no physical closure exists, uh, adult friendship, making and keeping friends as a grown-up, and um, and uh, health and wellness. So how to, you know, um, kind of tap into some of those air quote biohacks in order to achieve not, not just good labs at your, you know, main physician's doctor's appointment, but really vitality. So that's that's kind of what's going on right now. Not to mention that uh, you had that couple on that told you <laughs> how to retire at 30. Those yeah. guys were so cool. They were so smart. They were, yeah, Nathan, if you haven't heard that one, I don't know the number of that episode, but it was a fascinating episode where basically they went through, not only that, they went to Hawaii and lived for a year. How long did they stay in Hawaii? Uh, it was six that? months in Hawaii. Six yeah, months. yeah. And for that's the. How much a week? <laughs> Oh yeah, the keys. It's Lauren and Stephen Keys, and I don't know the episode off the top of my head. But if you go to my website, which is MeredithForReal.com, you can put in the search box any topic, and then it'll search the episodes, and so you can bring up the ones that are most interesting to you. You and and just this one in particular. Uh, beyond all the great UFO guests that she just mentioned, you will be fascinated at how they figured out how to buy cars and sell cars on the cheap. They just figured out every possible way. And they said, you know, every now and again, they might work, but they're basically retired at 30 and they know how to do this. And they're actually, they're earning money on their money and all that stuff, right? Because um, they saved a lot when they got married. So fascinating, hmm. those folks. Uh, let's go with uh, Cabby Goodbye, starting with Debs, please. Well, thank you again for coming on this National Paranormal Day. And hopefully in the future, we're just going to call it you know, national normal day and like everyone will come together and be like, this is something that's happening to everybody. Um, Thank you for sharing your insights. And I'm really excited. Um, I feel like, you know, you, you have a lot of interest in this and it's exciting to see other people with that passion come out and talk to us. So thank you again. Thank you. Yeah, I want to say uh, everything will be in the show notes uh, that we have on Meredith. It will it will all be in there. So if you want to get a hold of her, you will find it in the show notes or YouTube and the podcast for this episode. Let's go with my man, Money Nathan. Yeah, Meredith, this has been a delight. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. I applaud you for the things that you're doing in your show. Uh, having that meaningful connection with another person even if the topic is strange and weird, I, I think that actually enables something special uh, that that we can go deeper past that you know veneer that we all just sort of traffic around and get to know a person who they really are. So thank you for taking that effort and for promoting that just as an activity. Like that's fantastic. So great work, and uh, we look forward to hearing what's coming down the line from you and checking back in with you in the future. Oh, we'll be in touch for sure. Awesome. Yeah, um, I'm thinking, Meredith, that next time, we, since we did so much UFO, that next time we'll have Matt. We could do uh, some Bigfoot and more paranormal, ghostish kind of stuff. He's had both. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we could do a part two. That would be so awesome. Um, again, I'm, I'm honored that, that you would come on here. You really remind me of Kate Casey when I, the first time that I had Kate Casey on. You probably don't, don't know who she is, but you will because I'll, I'll make sure I send you her 
her podcast. Um, she's out in uh, SoCal, but she's Philadelphia, sort of born and raised. And just like you, another great interviewer, great podcaster that I had on um, on my old show. And then and then we had her on cab. So um, thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it. Namaste. And uh, for uh, Miss Meredith, for Deb's Money Nathan, this is DJ saying peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.